Hello, this is Pastor Sam Velez, and I'm so glad that you're joining us for our service. We hope you enjoy this message today, that it blesses your life and your families. We love you. We're going through the book of Romans, and I, what I said last week was, we're not going to go through the whole book of Romans. There's a lot of chapter, chapters, and, and uh, we don't have all that much time, so I'm just calling this season one. Just like a show you would watch on Netflix, season one of the book of Romans. And last week we talked about Romans chapter one, and we talked about what it means that to be unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of the gospel. If you don't know, the, there's power in the gospel. The gospel is good news. The good news that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for me and you, and rose again. The good news is that you serve a God that has the power over every enemy that comes against your way. That's the good news. The good news is you have a healer on your side. You have a provider on your side. That is the good news. Can you give God a hand clap that we got the power of God present today for my life and for your life? And so today we're going to continue in this series. And if you have your Bibles, I want to go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans 1, verse 20. And it says this. It says, for ever since... The world was created. People have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. The title of the message is this this morning. I am done with excuses. I am done with excuses. I don't know if you ever met somebody that has a lot of excuses. No matter what you say, there's an excuse for it. Ever met somebody like that? Don't look at them. Just look at me. I could tell people were getting ready and they were fighting it. Don't do that yet. Do it after. But here's the thing about excuses is that excuses never solve the problem in your life. They never have and they never will. You can either make progress or make excuses, but you can't do both. You can't do both. Either you can make progress in your life or you can make excuses in your life, but you can't do both. And if you want to start living out the calling in your life, then you have to start without excuses. Because excuses will always be present in your life. There is always going to be a reason why not. There's always going to be a reason why you can't do this or you can't go here or you can't accept this. There's always going to be an excuse. And if you want to live a life full of promises and experience God in a different level, then the excuses have to stop. If you've given your life to God already, there is no excuse to not continue to serve him. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today's the day that you can decide to do that. Because there's no excuse as to why you can't do it. Like we read in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Paul says, man, there's God's fingertips. God, the, the hand of God is everywhere. He says there's no excuses. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You don't need just to look in the Bible. You can look outside and know that there's a God. And so Paul said, there's no excuse. That's why I titled the message, I am done with excuses. If you're taking notes today, we're doing a teaching series. So number one is this, I am done with excuses because the wrath of God is serious. 
I am done with excuses because the wrath of God is serious. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Romans chapter 1. And then we're going to go from 18 to 20 one more time. We're going to read verse 20. Because I need, I need you to get this in your spirit. It says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. For not knowing God. I need you to understand something today, church. Although this is not a popular message, I would be doing you a disservice if I don't preach the whole counsel of God. I hope you understand that. It'd be like if you went to the doctor and the doctor never told you the truth. The doctor will always tell you what's wrong. Same thing for a pastor. I got to be able to tell you everything. Amen? So if you want to hate me, hate me later, but I need to do this. The wrath of God is real, church. It is as real as his love. You have to understand that. God is love. God is merciful. God is God, God of grace. But God is also just. And God also disciplines those he loves. God loves us. It's like saying, I love my dad, but uh, don't talk to me about the other part of my dad when my dad gets mad. It's either I love my dad or I don't love my dad. And you love your parents, even though sometimes you don't agree or sometimes they... They'd have to discipline you. You love them. And we love God. But we have to understand that God is love, but he's also just. He's also just. And you have to understand that God, God's the wrath of God. The Bible says that there's a wrath of God, but the wrath of God is not like human wrath. Here's the definition of human wrath. Human wrath is this. Human wrath is an, is an emotional response that is irrational, uncontrolled, and cruel. That's human wrath. That's what happens when me and you get angry and do stuff. We do stuff without thinking. We do stuff to hurt the other person. We do stuff. It's, it's, un, it's an emotional response that is irrational, uncontrolled, and cruel. And you will never know how good the good news is and you will never know how bad the bad is until you find out about it. And Paul's saying, hey, look, God is amazing. There, we talked about the gospel, how powerful the gospel is. But if you don't realize and if, you don't, if you're not aware of what sin can do for your life, you will miss out on every promise of God. He's like, I got to tell you what's happening. I have to tell you if this doesn't stop. You're going to ruin your life if you don't stop. And so he begins to talk about God's anger. But here's the thing about God's wrath. God's wrath is not like a human wrath. So many times we want to compare God to human. And we think God acts like humans. And we think that God gets mad like humans. And we think that God's going to come and he's going to throw a Harry Potter spell on me and curse me. And that's not God's wrath. You think you see, you, when I said the word wrath, some of you started already thinking like something like this deep, terrible thing. But here, this is what the wrath of God is. The wrath of God is this. It's a righteous opposition to evil and those who choose it. 
a righteous opposition to evil and those who choose it. An example of this is that it's like your reaction to someone that's trying to hurt your children. It's, a, it's, it's an anger about something that's hurting your children. And this is what I need you to understand. If you go to Romans chapter 1, 21 through 25, this is what I mean. Romans 1, 21 through 25 says this. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So this is what the wrath of God is. It is God giving you to your own ways. It is God, and God's not, he's not, like I said, he's not striking a lightning down on you like Zeus. He's not sending a storm to destroy your house. The wrath of God is simply this. Okay, I've given you every opportunity. I'm trying to help you, but because you keep rejecting me, I'm going to leave you alone. and I'm going to let you do what you want to do. That is the wrath of God. The wrath of God is letting us go into our own ways. The wrath of God is saying, hey, all right, you don't want my help. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back, and I'm going to let you do what you want to do. But how many of y'all realize that every time we do that, we never get the best results? Amen? <laughs> this, is a, this is a really sermon that I don't know. I understand. It's not the greatest, but it's the truth. So the wrath of God is that, church. The wrath of God, like the Bible says, God abandoned them to their shameful desires. In other words, God said, hey, I'm letting you. You don't want my help. You want to reject me. You don't want to worship me. You don't want anything to do with me. You have every right to. I'm taking a step back, and I'm letting you go. And the Bible says that when God let the people do that, they did shameful things. And they traded the truth of God for a lie. So the wrath of God, church, is serious. It's serious, church, because if God, if if we get to a point where we we reject God that much, that he lets us go into our own ways, we will experience things that God never wanted us to experience. God's desire for your life is not for you to experience pain, disappointment, discouragement, to be addicted. That's not God's desire. But whenever we find ourselves in those places, it is because we have chosen to reject God. And God is saying, okay, I'm giving you to your ways. I'm giving you to your ways. So I, that's why I said I am done with excuses, number one, because the wrath of God is serious. But number two is this. I am done with excuses because the creation of God is significant. The creation of God is significant. 
Verse 20 tells us that this, look at, Paul says, look at the skies and look at this and look at that. He's trying to tell us that God's fingertips are everywhere. In other words, there's no reason why you can't trust God. There's no reason why you can't believe in God. There's no reason why today you can't say, God, I give you my life. There's no reason why God's fingertips are everywhere, church. And that is significant. It's, a, it's significant because it lets me and it lets you know that I'm not worshiping and I'm not wasting my breath to something that's fake. I'm not declaring things that's something that's not true. I'm not singing songs like he won't fail to something that's not real. I'm serving a living, breathing, amazing God. That's the God that I'm serving. And Paul's trying to get the people to understand when he's writing to the Romans. He's trying to get, because the Romans, you have to understand, the Romans were cruel people. They did not believe in God. They hated God. They arrested Christians. They had all kinds of gods. And sometimes they were atheists. They were so dirty in their mind. The Romans had a different culture. And so Paul is telling the people, hey, don't get caught up with the culture around you. Look at the sky. Look at everywhere. That God is still alive today. He's still present for your life today. Be at peace with it. In fact, the writer says this in Psalms chapter 19, verse, uh, I believe it's 14. I'm sorry, 19, 1 through 4. It says this, it says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. God is everywhere. In other words, church, you have to understand something. That the design declares that there's a designer. Amen? The design declares that there is a designer. There is a designer. God, there is a God whose ways are higher than my ways. I want to show you a video uh, to kind of help you out. This video will probably explain some things better than I could. So, can you play that video real quick? The first book in the Bible is called Genesis. And we're going to look closely at the first page of the book of Genesis. It's a carefully crafted narrative about God creating and ordering the whole cosmos. Okay, let's check it out. Now, the opening line of the whole Bible is, In the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now, your Bible translation might say, the heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above. And the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it reads, Now the land was wild and waste. This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, what we might call nothingness. 
For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing. And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss? Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for God's Spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Yes, And this ordering happens in a series of six days. Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning. Yeah, every day addresses those problems introduced in verse 2, that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days 1 through 3, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then, on days 4 through 6, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay. So, the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order of time. Okay. And then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault? In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God is establishing the realm of the land, and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on days four through six. So in day four, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. God installs these lights, the sun, moon, and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. Then finally on day six, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then, matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then, God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food. Now, over and over, God says what he created was good. But then, after making humans, God says that it is very good. Yes, humanity is the climax of days one through six. And their importance is explained in the first poem in the Bible. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures. But they're also more. 
their God's image, which means that together, men and women embody and represent the Creator within His creation. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over the creatures. This is the purpose of being God's image, to oversee creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. Amen. How awesome is our God? Amen. I wanted you to kind of get a background to see just how amazing God is from the point of creation. Because we've been talking about how, you, how God's fingertips are everywhere. And this just is a way to help you see that in a visual way. How amazing our God is. And how intentional he is with his creation. Church, we serve an amazing God. Amen? And, and, and that's why I said, I am done with excuses because the creation of God is significant for me and you. Which leads me to my third point. I am done with excuses because the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. The sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. I want you to go to Romans chapter 2. 1 through 7, Romans 2, 1 through 7, and it says this, it says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things, and we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. In other words, church, you choose what you carry. You choose what you carry. We could either carry the presence of God everywhere we go. We could either carry his peace. We could either carry his eternity. We could carry everything from God. Or we can reject that and carry everything that God never intended for you to have. God never intended for you to walk and carry depression all the time. God never intended for you to have anxiety for the rest of your life. God never intended for you to be sick for the rest of your life. God never intended that for your life, church. You have to understand that. Is that you choose what you carry today. You choose what you're going to carry. Are you going to carry the truth of God or are you going to carry a lie from the enemy? Are you going to carry the power of God or are you going to carry the weakness that comes from the enemy? But God has given us the ability to choose what we carry. I can choose joy or I can choose bitterness, but I can't choose both. I can choose peace or I can choose stress. I can't choose both. I can choose to live for God or I can choose, I don't have to live for God, but I can't do both. Is anyone understanding me today? I can't choose both. 
But I can choose something. Sin and rejection of God. And when you carry that, God never intended you to carry that. And when you begin to carry that, when you begin to reject God, and when you begin to choose sin over the Savior, you will carry a weight that God never intended you to carry. You will carry something. It's like carrying a heavy backpack. Remember when you, if you go to school, you understand this, or all of us that are a little bit older that are out of school. You remember when you used to carry a ton of books, and it was a heavy thing to carry. And you had to carry it because you had to go to class or you had to carry, you had to carry all these things. And that's how it is sometimes when we reject God, we are carrying a bunch of things and it's hard to walk with heavy things. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to go upstairs with heavy things. It's hard to, it's hard to do that because that was not God's design for your life. To carry things outside of him. But Jesus, his sacrifice, church, is sufficient because Jesus comes into the picture. When people rejected God and God sends himself, the Bible says he loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And Jesus steps in and says, hey, I'll carry the weight so that you don't have to. I'll carry everything that you've been carrying so that you don't have to. That's the amazing thing about Jesus. That he comes in our place. In fact, Romans 3. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, church, of our sins. In other words, church, he was the payment for our sins. Jesus took on what we deserved so that we could get what he deserved. That's the beauty about God. Is that Jesus stood in my place and in your place and took on the sin of the world and took on the curses of this world so that we wouldn't have to. I don't know, but I am grateful for that. I'm grateful. You should give a hand clap to God that he would do such a thing for your life. In other words, Jesus said, you know what? I'll carry that weight of stress for you. I'll carry that depression for you. I'll carry the addiction for you. Every weight that the enemies have been trying to put, he says, I'll, I'll carry it. I'll carry it for you so that you don't have to. That's why I put that his sacrifice is sufficient for us. That means you have no excuse to not go to the Father. You have no excuse to not say, God, I give you my life. Because he chooses to step in your place. The Bible said in the book of Romans 3, that he freely, freely came. And his grace and God's grace and God's mercy, he freely came. So these three takeaways, there's just these three takeaways we talked about today. You got to take God's wrath seriously. Not in, a, not in a fearful way, like, like I'm scared of God because you, you, it's not about being scared of God. 
But you take it seriously because you know that, man, if I don't take my relationship with God serious, then something else will take its place and destroy my life. Number two is you need to stay in awe of God's creation. Remind yourself who God is. Number three is you got to walk in confidence because of Christ's sacrifice. Walk in confidence because of the sacrifice of God. You don't have to walk fearful, afraid, worried. No, no, walk in confidence because of God. Paul was trying to tell these people in Romans, hey, God is present. He is present. He is just as real as the myths and the mythology that all the other Romans like to follow. He is just as real. It's real. Thank you so much for joining our service and for listening to us. We are located at 4519 East Del Mar Boulevard in Laredo, Texas. And we hope that you continue to be a part of our ICM family.